seated. Good morning and welcome once again. I am thrilled to be back with you. Thank you, church family, for the privilege uh, and opportunity you gave me to be away last Sunday and to preach revival in the upper part of our county. Um, so I do appreciate that, but I am thrilled to be back home. Let me brag on our church for just a minute. Uh, we talk about lots of markers of church health. Uh, we could certainly be healthier. We are far from perfect. But in the month of April, five weeks, five Sundays in the month of April, um, our church family will experience six different men from within our church body preaching um, from behind this, this podium. Six different people uh, six different men proclaiming the gospel. Y'all, that's an amazing, amazing blessing from the Lord. And so as you think about the things that God is doing in our church, maybe in your own life individually, just give Him the glory for that because it really is amazing to believe that I can be gone and it really doesn't matter because y'all are still going to get great preaching. You're going to hear the Word of God in spite, regardless of where I am or what I may be. As a matter of fact, sometimes you probably get better than if I had been here. So we just celebrate God's blessing. I've been able to listen to some of you live, those of you that I couldn't hear live. I've been able to go back and listen to those sermons online and the recordings. And God has blessed us so much by giving us folks who can proclaim the, God, the Word of God. Of course, it's not only from here as sermons are preached. We've had testimonies delivered by others. And then our church is filled each week with people who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel in life groups and to our children and children's ministry and in children's worship and so many other avenues. And we just celebrate. Don't ever miss God's goodness in those things. It could be real easy for us to grow so accustomed to those blessings that we take it for granted. Trust me, that is not normal, and God has blessed us in those areas. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 3. The book of Mark, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 all the way through verse 21. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word as we consider this secret Jesus. Somebody, actually several of you have looked at me crossways with that title including my own daughter, secret Jesus, which one is he? We're not proclaiming a different Jesus, just for the record, all right? We're talking about Jesus in hiding a little bit this morning. Here we go. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he had desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of James, or John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home 
And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you give us wisdom, insight, and understanding. But God, show us in this how important it is that we be intentional in the ministries to which you've called us. In Christ's name, amen. Are you intentional in your ministry? I'm a pretty passionate fellow. I don't do a very good job of describing my feelings and my thoughts. My face tends to betray me. Many years ago, Angela and I were on a mission trip in Indonesia. You've heard me reference it often through the years. And we sat down on the first day when we were fully in country and we were being trained by some of their missionaries. And they had several different rules for us, expectations, things that we needed to be aware of. Some of those were things that, that particularly applied to Angela as a woman in that Muslim country. She didn't need to walk around with wet hair. She didn't really need to be, if she did have wet hair, she certainly didn't need to be out in public without me. She didn't need to wear shorts. Uh, we needed to be careful about the way that we sat because in that culture, sitting in some particular ways could be perceived as a, um, uh, as a slight against another person or, or an insult. But one of the things that flew all over me was one of those missionaries standing in front of us and saying, we didn't bring you, you your primary job here is not to evangelize. Now, I got all sorts of beside myself, as y'all can imagine. Excuse me, I didn't fly 40, and it was the, our, our travel time there was 42 hours to get to where we were at. I, we were dead. I, was t I don't sleep on airplanes. I was miserable and angry and, and probably hungry. It was all of the E's all wrapped up into one. Angry, hungry, all those E's. And I, I, the guy that was leading our trip, I said, what, what, take a deep breath, take a, what, no, I, what, what in the world is going on? He said, look, he probably could have chosen his words differently. Let me explain to you. Nobody is suggesting that if somebody approaches you and you have an opportunity that you should turn away from having gospel conversations and sharing Jesus. Nobody's saying that. But we are saying that you didn't come here to be a street preacher. Well, why, why not? Do you speak Bahasa? Well, does that matter? I got Jesus. Can you speak their language? Well, no. But we came here to do missions. What are we going to do? He said, you're going to get your hands dirty. And you're going to work diligently in these villages, and you're going to clear debris, and you're going to love people in the name of Jesus, and you're going to seek out people of peace and try to share the good news. But I came here, and he said, would you hush long enough to let me finish? You're going to spend two weeks here, but that guy's been here for 20 years, and in all of his ministry, he has never, ever been allowed to enter into these Muslim villages and proclaim the good news of Jesus. But when the earthquakes came, and when the tsunami came, and when Christians flooded with aid to clean these areas, when they pumped the salt water out of wells, when they cleared debris and began to rebuild homes, these Muslim people looked at them, these people who had been radicalized in many areas, looked and said, where are our Muslim brothers? 
Why are you Christian people here? And he said, and then carefully, in the language of their heart, our missionaries are able to go house to house right now in places where before it would have been dangerous for them to set foot. And they're able to speak about why it is that these people of Christ are coming into their villages and doing so many things. Because Christ died for them. But I can't, he said, shut your mouth and get over yourself. Until you spend a year and a half learning the language, you can't, pre- you can't preach to them anyway. So unless you can find a translator to stand on the street. Well, I want to do that. Well, you know what happened while we were there? We made it. I mean, we made it. We made it onto what? Onto the blog of a radical Islamic jihadist website. Because they had their jihadists. Now, we were never in danger. We never felt in danger. But they had their jihadi training camp in the mountains just above the city where we were. We served faithfully. And we did get to share the gospel. But we served faithfully in these villages. And as we served faithfully, something incredible happened. One of the leaders in one of the villages we had served went to a group of our men and said, would you be willing to spend the night in our village? We couldn't find a missionary or a Christian leader that could remember a time when Christians and especially Westerners were welcomed into that village, much less invited by the village leaders to eat with them and to sleep in their place. In my excitement about doing ministry my way, I was missing out on what it looks like to sometimes be intentional in our ministry. Don't you leave here and say, Pastor Craig said, I don't have to share the gospel. You can speak English, and you're around English-speaking people all the time here. Right? So don't you do that. Don't you do that, because that's not true. That's not what I said. What I did say is that Jesus could have came onto the scene and charged hell with a water pistol, and he didn't. He was intentional and purposeful about the way that he went about his ministry. And we have a responsibility with this incredible good news that we carry to be intentional and purposeful about the way that we carry out gospel ministry in the world in which Christ has placed us. What's it look like? How can we be intentional in our ministry? I think we just need to follow Jesus' example. The first thing we need to do is to make time to prepare. Make time to prepare. Now when I say make time to prepare, I mean make macro time and micro time. Make time to prepare for your lifetime of ministry and make time to prepare for your individual ministry opportunities. If you just look at me as a pastor, that means making time to prepare educationally and otherwise so that I could go into ministry, right? But also making time weekly and daily to prepare for the ministry opportunities that God's given to me. You have that same responsibility to prepare regularly for the lifetime of ministry to which God's called you. You say, I'm not a pastor. God still called you to a lifetime of ministry. He's called you to serve him as long as he puts air in your lungs. He's called you to serve him by ministering to the poor and caring for the sick and the lonely and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He's called you to do those things. And if he's called you to do that for as long as you shall live, he's also called you to regularly prepare for whatever it takes to get you to that lifetime of successful ministry, faithful ministry in the Lord. So make the time, big picture, 
That means have a regular set-up time, a way that you are preparing. How do we prepare to serve the Lord? We prepare by attending to our spiritual disciplines on a regular basis, spending time in the Word and in prayer, spending time in corporate worship. Y'all, there's nothing like corporate worship for preparing us to serve the Lord. Why? Because it's only here that somebody is telling you what you need to do and how you need to love. Explaining the Word of God. It's only here that you're rubbing up against other believers in unique ways. It's here that God is working through the body. He does it supernaturally in the power of His Holy Spirit as He gathers among us. Make the time to prepare. So make the big picture time. Make the small picture time to repair. To repair. Prepare. Or you can sometimes, look here, sometimes you've got to repair things too. In a small way, make the time to prepare. Has the Lord called you? I mean, if you've been given an opportunity, the Lord called you to lead a life group, then you need to make time to prepare that lesson every, every week, right? To prepare to lead. Maybe he hasn't called you to lead that life group all the time. Maybe he gave you an opportunity this week to do it, right? Make, make the time to do that. Maybe your calling right now isn't to lead life group. It's just to actively participate. Then make the time each week to go through those questions, to allow the Lord to work and minister to you through them, and to consider how it is that you might be able to impact others as you engage regularly in your life group discussion. Maybe the ministry that God's given you is an opportunity to share the gospel with the guy that, that, that cuts your hair or the guy that, that lives next door. Make the time to prepare for that gospel conversation if you can. What does that look like? That means spend some time in prayer, praying specifically for that person by name. It means considering what might be a way to get into a conversation with that person. How might you start a conversation? He's got a garden out back. Maybe at some point you just say, hey, I can't seem to grow tomatoes for nothing. How are your tomatoes doing? Well, my tomatoes are good. Well, you know what else I want to talk to you about Jesus? It probably won't flow quite that easy, but maybe it will. You know? Hey, I see you're growing wheat. You know what I'm interested in? The bread of life. Whatever it might work, that doesn't work. I know. I get it. I got another one. So, so I see you're a baker. You know what I'm... Anyway. Um, oh, so you have lambs. Could I talk to you about the Lamb of God? I'll just keep going. Make time to prepare. Think carefully about what it is that God's called you to, right? Make the time to prepare. Jesus made time for his life of ministry, his lifetime, as the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. I want to encourage you to think carefully about that macro time, the big picture preparation. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness all by himself being dealt with. At 30 years of age, Jesus didn't enter into active ministry. He was 30 years old. And even then, the, Lord, the, the, the Father still said, you're going to go out here and handle a few other things. Then you're going to be ready to do all the things. Listen, if Jesus needed 40 days and 40 nights all by himself and he was the Son of God, you better believe it's going to take us a little while to get ready to do the things that God's called us to do. The apostles we see appointed in this passage, they were with Jesus in the flesh. For three years of preparation. The Apostle Paul was also in Arabia being prepared for ministry for three years. So that that, same, that, that, that apostle to the Gentiles spent the same amount of time in preparation as the twelve apostles to the Hebrews did. Being prepared and taught by the Lord and His Word. Y'all, there is no shame in preparation. It was the custom of the leaders in the early church, and it should be customary that those who teach and lead in the church have taken sufficient time to prepare. 
It should be the expectation that we have that our pastors have grown in the Lord. That they have been in a time of preparation and of study so that they, they can stand up and proclaim the Word of God with some degree of confidence. Side note here, how should this affect the way that we appoint leaders and teachers in our church today? Folks, this is why it's so important that we sometimes pump the brakes. Just because God's doing a great thing in somebody's life doesn't mean that we need to throw them into the fire. We need to give them time. Time to learn. Time to study. Time to grow. I appreciated what I I picked up from somebody a a while back that, that young leaders need safe environments where they can fail. Man, that, that, that's, that's really good stuff, isn't it? Young leaders need safe environments where they could fail. I'm so grateful for the three years that I spent at Oak Grove Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I learned a lot of things I want to be. I learned a lot of things I didn't want to be. But one of the blessings I had that I have, I have sought to carry on in my own ministry as a senior pastor here is my pastor looked at me and he said, you will never be on a limb by yourself unless you put your there put yourself there number 1 number 2 just because we've tried something before and it failed doesn't mean that we can't try again if you've got a vision for how it might work i failed a whole bunch of times in that ministry but the difference there was that because i had a partner and a leader in that ministry and he was actively involved in the ministry with me i didn't fail all by myself we failed together He picked up the pieces. He went to bat for me. He fought for me so that I was able to fail with a safety net except one time when I made a political joke from the pulpit and he pulled away. He walked far away. I mean, like it was like he was dead to me. This lady came and knocked on my door. Craig, could I have a minute of your time? I said, sure you can. And she said, may I shut the door? And I went, oh, well, she's either going to offer to give the youth a lot of money or I'm in a lot of trouble. She didn't write a check. She finished, and I walked next door to my pastor's office. I said, hey, Rufus, uh, Miss So-and-so was just in my office, and he just grinned real big. He said, I bet she was. I said, did you know about that? He said, I sure did. <laughs> you didn't give me a heads up? Mm-mm, you got yourself into that one. How should we appoint leaders in the church? What does that look like for us? We need to give the kind of room where people can fail. That's that's why it's important that we are slow in that process. Okay? Second thing, how should we prepare teachers and leaders? How should we prepare? Are we intentional in that thought process? Are you? Are you as a life group leader looking around regularly and saying, Who is it? Who is it in this room that God may be raising up to be able to take my job? Are you, as a part of any ministry of which you are a part, looking around and regularly saying, who's the next leader in this room? Possibly even looking in the mirror and saying, Lord God, am I that guy? Am I that woman? Am I the person that you're calling to step up and take another role? What are we doing to prepare others? Y'all, there's no shame in preparation. There's an old joke in churches that said, don't send your pastor to the cemetery, I mean the seminary. Anybody ever heard that one? No? Yes? Somewhere along the way, we buy this lie that training and preparation and education is wrong and bad and evil. 
And yet Jesus spent three years training his disciples. Well, that's different, Craig. They were with Jesus. I know it's different. And if I'd have had my druthers, I'd have rather been with Jesus, okay? All right? But I didn't have Jesus. I mean, I did, but like in the flesh. And you don't either. Well, I've got this, and it's all I need. You're right. This is all you need. But you know what else you need to go along with it? Somebody who will take this and leverage it into your life, because you're just like me. And we have a bad habit of reading this book in a way that best fits me. Man, I read it a lot of times. It feels real good until somebody else preaches at me, and I go, oh, I didn't see that. Make time to prepare. Second, make time for people. What's it look like to be intentional in ministry? Make time for people, even as you prepare. So let's just say you're that guy that's sitting up there right now and saying, you know what, Craig, I love this because I believe that in another year and a half, I could be where I need to be to step up and lead in this particular role. Now, a lot of you that are saying a year and a half probably only need about six months and you're not really recognizing what you really need and you need to, somebody else to help you think through that. But maybe let's just say you're right. You're, you're a year and a half away. Let me just tell you, if you're a year and a half away from taking a leadership or, or the next step in ministry, let me encourage you not to do this. Hey, John, I, I'd really appreciate if you could help me think. Through, Hold on, I'm still in my preparation stage for ministry. Maybe you should find someone else to talk to. No, don't do that. That's crazy. That's insane. Right? If that guy's in medical school, the, the, the man's training to be a doctor, this woman is ready for the day when she's going to be a family practitioner. Somebody comes to her and says, I got this bad cough. Could you help me talk about what's going on right here? She doesn't say, I'm just in medical school. Let me not share with you anything. We wouldn't expect that. She might say, look, I've not yet completed medical school. I'm in my residency right now. I've got a little ways to go. But if I were you, I'd go to the doctor and I'd have them check out this, this, and this. Okay, Even if you're not where you want to be or think you need to be, you still have an opportunity to do something powerful in the lives of others. Make time for people. Make time for ministry in the margins. Jesus was resting and preparing himself and his disciples, and the people showed up. Why did the people show up? Why did they flock to Jesus? They ran out there because they didn't understand the purpose for which Jesus had been placed into this world. Do you recognize that? They thought Jesus was just a cool miracle worker. And they flock out there because the only thing you're here to do is to make me feel better. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to reconcile the world that is lost and sinful to God himself. And all the people could see was what he could do for them right now. And yet Jesus didn't regularly stand up and rebuke them every time they showed up. Jesus still made time for the people. Y'all, do you make time for people in your life? There's an old preacher joke. They're terrible, by the way. Just if you get into like a group of pastors and they start sharing jokes, just assume that they're going to be the worst jokes that you've heard in a very long time. There's an old joke among pastors that ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. See, it's funny because if there weren't any people, there wouldn't be any ministry. I told you they were bad jokes. But there wouldn't be any ministry without people, would there? It's the people around us. The easy people to minister to, you know who they are? They're the people that don't need any ministry. Do you know that? Who's really easy to minister to? The people who have everything figured out and worked out. People that are growing in the Lord. They don't have any major crises in their life. Their kids are like the, the, the storybook kids. They live in the perfect house with the perfect wife and the perfect kids. You say, hey, I'd love to go minister to them. Yeah, I bet you would. But who are the people that need Jesus? He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. 
I came for those who need a physician. He's here for the weak and the needy and the poor and the hungry and the sick and the down and out. And we are called to be those kind of people. That's dirty ministry. It is. It's fingers in the dirt getting down in there and working with people. Y'all, when we start seeing people transition from life to death, when people are rescued from addictions, when they are rescued from bad relationships, when they are rescued from the sin that is drowning them, they don't immediately wake up tomorrow and everything's just perfect and hunky-dory. Y'all, it's hard work. It's hard for them. And if we are going to be the kind of people that make a difference in their life, it's got to be hard work for us too. Have you ever pulled somebody out of the mud? (laughs) Jay, Jay said that. I saw his struggle. Somebody pulled him out. Um, you ever pull somebody out of the mud? We got stuck late one night. I was in college. That's all that matters. Um, and we got really, really stuck. And the guy got his, this, the, one of the guys that was with us, he got his daddy's truck stuck. His daddy's new truck stuck to the bumper in red clay mud. And he started freaking out because it was his daddy's truck. I called a friend of mine. He showed up. Listen, when he got out of his truck, he stepped out in a pair of black slacks and a white shirt. I said, brother, what in the world are you doing? He said, I sang in a gospel concert. Give me a minute. He pulls his shirt off. He pulled on a pair of hip waders that he apparently just kept in the back of his truck. I don't know why. He pulled on a pair of hip waders. He took off his overshirt, went out there with his undershirt. He throws out about 300 feet of chain and rope and a shovel. Listen, I had showed up on this site Straight from church in a pair of flip-flops. By this point, it's about midnight. I'm still in flip-flops because I ain't been anywhere to get anything else. But when Edmund showed up, he showed up to pull somebody out of the mud. And he did. That big joker put on those boots and he didn't go and hook up to the truck and pull it out. He waded in as deep as he could get and started digging. Y'all, I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to pull people out of the mud, we got to be willing to get dirty with them. It's not a flip-flop and shorts kind of ministry. It's dirty. Getting down in there with them and working to see God pull them up out of the sewage that is trying to drown them. Make time for people. What's it look like to be intentional in ministry? Number three, invest in others. Intentionality in ministry means not only making time for the interruptions of ministry needs, it means making time to invest in others. We need to make time for the interruptions, but we also need to make time on purpose for other people. There are two specific kinds of people you need to be investing in. You need to be investing in lost people. There need to be some folks around you that don't have a relationship with the Jesus, a relationship with the Jesus, a relationship with Jesus with whom you're investing or in whom you're investing on purpose. They need to be the people that you have their names in your brain that when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're just praying for them. They're just there all the time. You're making time to be around them. You're making time to invest in them. The other kind of person you need to be with is somebody that does know the Lord. Maybe somebody that's six months or eight months or six years behind you in their spiritual walk. And you need to be investing in them. Well, Craig, I don't know what that looks like. Y'all, it's not that hard. Like We make it out to be this, this incredible thing where you're supposed to sit down at McDonald's for three hours a week and walk through this special curriculum and do all these incredible things. And when it's all said and done, you graduate from McDonald's and go to Chick-fil-A. Because that's where all the godly people do their discipleship, because it's Chick-fil-A. No! There's a whole lot of real discipleship that takes place on a tailgate of a pickup truck or over a cup of coffee 
on the telephone, on the way to work sometimes. Yeah, it's better to get face-to-face with somebody when you can, but something's better than nothing. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Something is better than nothing. Be intentional about it. Find the people around you that need the Lord. Invest in them. Find the people that have Jesus and try and help them take that next step. You know what's amazing about it, though, is that as you get, as you get intentional with other people and you begin investing in them, they don't, you don't just bring them along. God uses those experiences to help you to grow and to change you and mold you. That's why leading life groups is so awesome. People go, I'm not ready to do that. Yeah, you're not. You're right. But if you'll jump into this thing with both feet, the Lord's going to take that stressful experience for you and he's going to use it to shape and mold you. And six months from now, you're going to be six years ahead of where you thought you ever could be. That's why teaching in vacation Bible school is so important. Just as a side note, men, you are not too good to teach in VBS. Invest in others. And then finally this morning, live out God's plan for your life. Live out God's plan for your life. What is God's plan for your life? Not God's plan for someone else's life. What is God's plan for your life? You know, God has given me three particular passions in ministry. Number one, for his church. I love the local church. Like, I love it. I don't just love this church. I love the local church. I had somebody call me this past week to talk with me about, about their, their church's transition. And I, I mean, he was tired of listening to me because I'm so excited to talk with him about what their church can do to take the next steps. God's given me a passion for families. I believe, I don't just believe it, I know from God's word that the family was instituted and created even before the church was. And God's church is made up of God's families. And if we're going to see the church of Jesus Christ be a powerful force in the 21st century, it's going to be because the families of Christ's church are strong and powerful and are living for the Lord. And then finally, God's given me a passion for other pastors. Nothing, I, very few things in life give me greater joy than to see pastors and young ministers who begin to get it and begin to grow and begin to improve in their leadership skills and begin to improve in their pastoral skills begin to improve as preachers but that's my calling that's my calling that's my gifting i asked some of y'all to go sit down in a room with me and three or four other pastors and you would rather go to the dentist like that is just painful for you to consider I asked some of you to go and 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 and, and street preach out in the middle of wherever and you go oh that that I can't pull that off today. I asked some of you to come and lead a life group, and you go, you know what? I, I would honestly rather clean all the toilets in the church than lead in that life group. We've got to be very careful in the church that we don't seek to guilt others into sharing the passion that I share. One of my great passions in life is foster care and adoption for obvious reasons. God hasn't called everybody to foster care and adoption. He's called all of you to be a part of caring for the orphan. But he hasn't necessarily called all of you to bring an orphan into your home. I don't get, as Buster preached on legalism last week, I don't get to stand up here and to say, you don't share my passion, so you're some kind of JV Christian. We need to praise the Lord for the people that God's called to preach. 
that God's called to teach. But we also need to praise the Lord for those whom God has given an incredible passion to serve God's people and to serve others. There's some of you here that have a gift of evangelism that's incredible. But the idea that you're going to stand behind a table and put chili on somebody's hot dog as they walk by is just like pulling out hair. We don't get to go, oh, well, there's the evangelist. He's really got Jesus figured out. There's the guy who, who threw the trash out, the dirty diapers out of the nursery, and he's not worth anything. That's not the way God's kingdom works. It's not the way God's kingdom works. Find out the things you're passionate about. Now listen, again, don't walk out here saying, Pastor Craig said I don't have to be evangelistic. I didn't say that at all. But what I did say is that you need to identify the things that God has called you to do. We can be legalistic and judge others, but you know what the other thing is? Or on the flip side of that, we can become the kind of people that elevate others to a platform and go, well, I'm not like him, so there's nothing I can do. You may not be called to the things that others are called to, and that is just fine. We need people who are passionate about spraying weeds and flower beds. We need people who are passionate about clean toilets. We need people who are passionate about clean floors. We need people who are passionate about standing up behind this podium and preaching. We need people who are passionate about visiting others in the hospital. We need people who are passionate about flying to other sides of the world and, and engaging in all sorts of gospel missions. We need people who are passionate about mercy ministries. We need people who are passionate about hospitality. Do you know that God has given you passions and gifts and those things intersect with His purpose for your life? It's amazing to see the way that if you will live faithfully into that which God has called you, you will begin to see how your passions intersect, intersect with God's intentions for your personal ministry. Some things just seem out of place. Last night we um we had pictures here yesterday afternoon. Like we were the I think we were we were last or the next to last family to have pictures made yesterday. And we had a lot that we needed to get done at home. And so we told the kids, hey, y'all help us help out around the house and don't get in the way. It's sometimes the best helping that some of them do is just to stay away. You get that. Um, and, uh, and then y'all behave for your pictures and we'll have, we'll have a surprise tonight. And so uh, last night after we'd done all those things, we drove to Columbia and got ice cream. And, uh, um, and it was, man, it was so good. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was, it was so good. But we went to Marble Slab, and that matters because at Marble Slab they had red velvet ice cream now, which is my favorite ice cream on the planet. I don't have to go look at the things when I walk in the door. I see red velvet, boom, I know what I want. I want a waffle cone with red velvet ice cream and cookie dough. That's it. I'm, I'm easy. If y'all ever want to, y'all can go satisfy me by just going and getting that and bringing it to my house. I'll be happy. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, like, it was crazy in there. I mean, there were people everywhere. The line was to the door, and the, it, was, it was like ordering ice cream at the beacon. They were yelling at me to tell me what I needed to eat. I didn't know. Angela doesn't deal with those things well. She was getting overwhelmed and a bit intimidated. I'm like, hey, y'all hush. I'm trying to think. And the kids are screaming, and Sloan wants to taste everything in the place. 
Oh, Daddy, I want the green one. No, son, that is disgusting. Why do you want the green? Brooklyn wanted the pink. She didn't care what it tasted like. It was pink, and she was happy. I'm paying. I've got my huge cone of ice cream that's already actively melting. I'm trying to get my wallet out to take out a loan to pay for marble slab ice cream for all the kids. And Sloan's still waiting on his ice cream or waiting on a drink. And Sloan's standing here under me. And as I'm trying to get all those things done, boom, big drop of melted red ice cream lands right in the top of Sloan's blonde head. It might still be there this morning because he had already showered and he wasn't getting another one. I, I, I thought, man, that's kind of funny. But then in all the, the rush, I didn't think to mention Angela. 20 minutes or so later, she goes, what is that? And y'all, it looks like a huge bloody spot in the top of his head. It did. It looked like he had just, somebody just walked by and just, boom, just popped him top of the head with an ice pick. I mean, it was just, it's out of place. That big red mark in the middle of that pretty blonde hair, it just, just sticks out like a sore thumb. Y'all, some of you feel so out of place in God's kingdom because you're serving in places that you're trying to force it. And you need to recognize that God has given you special gifts and passions. And he's given them to you. Not just so that you can enjoy them. But so that you can use them to fulfill your gospel purposes in the world. If you will just be intentional. As we gather to remember Christ's sacrifice through the Lord's Supper though, we also remember that our ultimate purpose is to be found in Him. Our ultimate purpose on this planet is not to figure out what my passion is. My ultimate purpose is to be satisfied in Jesus. See, all those people pressed in around Jesus by the lake because they didn't fully understand what Jesus' ultimate purpose was. Jesus' ultimate purpose on earth was to seek and save that which was lost. It was to take all that was broken and restore it and to make it right and new. You say, Pastor Craig, you've preached this sermon and I'm just going to walk out of here and I just feel that much more beat down because I can't figure out what in the world my passion is, my gift is, my calling is in the Lord. Let me assure you first that you have one even if you haven't yet found it. But let me also lift the burden for you. Your ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your ultimate purpose is to be found in Him. And we come together to, rem to remember Christ's sacrifice. We come together to observe the Lord's Supper to remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. And so this morning, as you consider the question of whether or not you are intentional in ministry, rather than Dwell on that forever. I want us to celebrate that Jesus was intentional in ministry. He didn't allow the world, he didn't allow even his own family to deter him from fulfilling his mission. And because of that, we can celebrate our freedom in Christ. This morning our deacons are going to come forward and as they do, I want you to know 
that the Lord's Supper is, is, is an intentional time for we to gather as a church body to reflect upon and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a memorial gift, a memorial meal that is reserved for God's people. That is for Christians, for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you haven't ever given your life to the Lord Jesus and asked Him to save you, I would ask you to refrain from observing the Lord's Supper. And instead this morning, then taking the bread and the cup to take Christ, to take Him as your Savior, to be set free from the burden and the power of sin... But for those of you who are believers in Jesus, this, this, this morning, I trust that you will receive this meal as it was given to us. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, reminds us about the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. going to pray over this and then our deacons will bring it to you and we will all take the bread together in just a moment. Father God, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the intentional ministry of Jesus, Lord. Thank you that he was not swayed by the temptation to power and fame. Lord God, he stayed the course. He saved our life. In Jesus' name we pray.